0: Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge.
1: Today is the day.
0: Good morning. Today is the day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing. We are glad in it. Um, We recognize that the world is aflame with all kinds of uh, consequences of the fall of man, but we are people who recognize we live in gospel universe. We live in the midst of God's unfolding redemptive plan. And so we're going to rejoice in the midst of it, even if in the current moment you are experiencing um, there's darkness, there's doubt, there's, uh, there are reasons to to feel other than joyful. And so I want to acknowledge that. I want to recognize that. And I want to say that even in the midst of darkness, um, the light of light has already shone forth, and the darkness will not overcome it. You will not be overcome today or tomorrow or the next day because the light of God has shone in the fullness of the person of Jesus Christ, and everything about reality changed. Everything about reality is different than it was before the coming of Jesus. And so if you are tempted to believe today in the darkness, um, I I just want to invite you to turn toward the light. All you have to do is just turn ever so slightly. I don't know about you. I can't sleep when there's a light on, like I, like, especially like a tiny little light and over in the corner, like, an indicator light on something. I have to actually like put something over it or in front of it. Because if you turn toward that light, let me just tell you, it just, it's just, it pierces the darkness. Well, Jesus isn't like a tiny little light, indicator light in the corner. He is the very light of life and the light of our salvation. So let me just encourage you in that this morning. Um, you're gonna hear a lot of chatter today about this New York Times issue and the release of this book. There's a book releasing today entitled The Education of Brett Kavanaugh. Um, The New York Times, arguably the most influential newspaper in the nation, has already issued a pair of corrections related to the article that it posted. Uh, That article appeared on the, you know, what has traditionally been understood as the opinion page of the publication. The challenge is people no longer separate opinion from uh, straight-up news journalism. We read opinion and commentary and analysis and news as if it is all news. And I think that one of the things that we have to talk about is the the changing definition in the culture of the term journalism. And so um, I don't have time until the end of the second hour to really delve deeply into this, but I'm just letting you know, I will be offering commentary today. That would be me offering my commentary, my opinion that is, you know, that is filtered through a Christian biblical worldview where the truth matters and the truth matters, frankly, more than anything else. Uh, and knowing the truth matters and being a purveyor of the truth matters. Uh, and so I'm going to talk about journalism. I'm going to talk about how uh, our experience of that term and the purveyors of uh, of journalism, journalistic outlets like The New York Times, how that has changed over time. Um, and I'm going to hone in on the conversation about opinion, opinion pieces, opinion journalism, um, and whether or not you can even have those two words like yeah, meaningfully in the same sentence. So um, stick around, or if you can't stick around for the full two hours of today's program, that's what I'm going to talk about in the final uh, in the final segment of the show. Uh, and if you already know in advance you're going to miss it, then go grab the podcast later today at MyFaithRadio.com. Next up, my friend Drew Griffin. He and I are going to talk about some international headlines, and we're also going to talk about the changing shape of uh, culture engagement for Christians here in the United States today. That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. today drew griffin you can follow him on twitter at dg underscore ny you can also find him at providence magazine you can find them at Providencemag.com. drew welcome back
2: hey good morning carmen how are you
0: good morning um you know me i'm hopeful i'm uh i'm skeptical i'm I'm all the things i always am how are you man
2: (laughs) i'm I'm those things as well so it's good it's good to hear from you
0: (laughs) it's great to talk with you today let's um Uh, If we can, let's start with Iran and Saudi Arabia. Um, What's, you know, perspective on that situation?
2: Sure. So uh, over this weekend, uh, there was a strike on Saudi uh, oil facilities there uh, in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia that um, destroyed about um, 50 percent of their capacity to refine oil. Uh, Saudi Arabia produces about 12 percent of uh, the world's oil, so their major uh, oil producer. Uh, These strikes uh, knocked out about half of that um, ability. And uh, so this is a major disruption in in oil flow. Uh, And then a number of people began to uh, kind of uh, take credit. It was a kind of a surprise attack. The first group that took credit was... uh, Um, From Yemen, Uh, the Houthi rebels, uh, Yemen is engaged in a civil war, which we've talked about, I think, in in previous uh, episodes between uh, Houthi rebels uh, in the north and then the kingdom uh, of Yemen. And so Saudi Arabia has backed the, uh, the official government in Yemen. Uh, For a long period of time, they have tried to embargo um, the the Houthi rebels, leading to massive starvation. So the Houthis say, oh, well, you know, we're responsible for this attack, um, paying back Saudi Arabia, basically, for their um, uh, bad acts towards us. Uh, However, it it has become clear, at least on the part of uh, uh, the United States and uh, potentially Saudi Arabia, once the intelligence came in that the attack was too complex, too deep inside Saudi Arabian territory for um, the, these rebels to have uh, perpetrated them. And it looks as though a potential, um, uh, I guess, uh, perpetrator is uh, Iran. So uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia are mortal enemies uh, and have been since uh, Iran uh, became a um, Islamic republic. Uh, Iran is, is is Shia, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, Sunni, I mean, they are kind of diametrically opposed in the region. And so uh, it appears as though uh, Iran may have attacked Saudi Arabia. Why would Iran do this? It's a good question. Um, many people would say that it's it's a way in which they are responding to the pressure that the United States and the international community has placed on Iran over the last um, two years, basically since the beginning of the Trump administration. Uh, the Trump administration withdrew from the Iran deal. Uh, we've talked about that in previous uh, shows. They've imposed sanctions on uh, Iran, which is pressured Iran, and Iran has, over the last six months or so, began to kind of act out a little bit in response to those sanctions and in response to the U.S. um, uh, treatment of them, and they have uh, seized some oil tankers, some international uh, flag oil tankers. They have uh, kind of rattled their sabers about potentially closing the Strait of Hormuz, which is a major um, uh, shipping uh, strait there. uh, in, um, uh, the, the Gulf area. And so, uh, this may be just another, um, uh saber rattling and, and and on the part of Iran and just saying, hey, look, you know, we can't strike the United States. That's obviously too um, too frightening, but maybe we can strike Saudi Arabia just to show the extent to which, you know, if, if you don't let, let up on us, if you don't kind of reduce the sanctions, if you don't uh, begin to engage us diplomatically, again, you know, we could destroy all of the kingdoms, uh, Saudi Arabia's ability to produce oil um so it's extremely tense this is something that is um that is it's a dangerous situation uh you've got two powers uh that very easily um this could escalate into a regional war
0: well and a regional war between Saudi Arabia and Iran would be you know, just catastrophic not only for the people of the region but you know just globally the, we're talking about you know we're talking about massive uh nations we're not talking about small you know small countries we're talking about uh, nations who have proxy wars. And that's really what's going on in Yemen as well. I was also interested in um, this news out of Saudi Arabia um, reported by the uh, Associated Press that there have been a number of interesting delegations from the United States meeting with the Saudi crown prince, uh, Mohammed bin Salim. And one of those delegations was from uh, from Congress, but one of those delegations was uh, a second group of I mean, I don't know if I even call them high-profile evangelical leaders anymore. I don't even know what that term – in fact, you and I are going to talk about that after the break. What, what does that even mean anymore? But we've got sure. um, reporting that U.S. evangelicals have been having you know, these sit-down meetings with the Saudi crown prince. And part of that conversation is about uh, the, the humanitarian desperation in Yemen and how we can – uh, relieve the suffering of the people there. But another part of that conversation is, you know, how might the Saudis be more open to sort of, you know, positive coexistence with evangelical Christians in the region? That's really, you know, those are some stunning developments in terms of conversation.
2: Well, I think there are a number of things uh, happening in that. Uh, this is the second time that a, a large group of prominent evangelicals, um, uh, leaders, these are these would be a, a, seminary entity heads these would be the heads of, of Christian radio stations and and I didn't prominent go I think we should mega I think we
0: should I think we should tell people I did not go
2: yes yeah you're you're calling <laughs> uh, you're not calling from Saudi Arabia right now. yeah right um so uh, that there are uh, a number. This is the second time that a large group of evangelical leaders, and and this is in part, I think, you know, many times the the group, evangelical groups that are going have their own agendas to press, right? The uh, greater uh, push for Christian uh, pluralism acceptance in the region, um, the humanitarian um, issue in Yemen, like you mentioned, uh, but. This is also I think it's important to to realize a, a calculated effort on the part of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia uh, to, I think, uh, wine, dine and influence. I guess if these are Baptists, it wouldn't be wine. It would be, uh, you know, um, yeah, grape juice and dine um, the uh, the largest and most influential uh, group of supporters of President Trump. Uh, so this is a, I mm. think that, you know, there is a. Uh, we have to recognize that evangelicals, uh, you know, are, largely support President Trump. Many of these leaders are on um, President Trump's Evangelical Advisory Council, which is kind of an unofficial group of people that advise the president on religious and, and, and Christian issues. And uh, I don't think that it's an accident that the kingdom of Saudi Arabia in trying to influence the United States and trying to influence the president is, is seeking out to make friends and kind of smooth over differences uh, with um, a group that's highly influential in the White House, and so it's I think it's it's i'm not discounting what the evangelicals are doing and I think it's it's amazing and we should pray that uh, they have influence and that there's an evangelical even uh, outcome of this, and that maybe there's a, there's a gospel influence that can be exerted on the kingdom of Saudi Arabia um, that could benefit Christians in the region and benefit humanitarian um, uh, needs in the region. Uh, but I think it's also important to recognize that there's there's another uh, stream of communication going, and it's from the kingdom to the president and mm. from the kingdom to the, his supporters. And so uh, it's important that, um, you know, who's using who is probably a good question to ask and um, something certainly to be aware of.
0: Every single day, in addition to asking the question, who's using who, I'm always asking who's using you. So, um, that's thank that's you good. for that, Drew. Hey, we're going to come back in just a moment and we're going to talk about uh, the, the really the opportunity that Christians have to engage the culture today and what um, some pers- differing perspectives on that uh, among Christians at the national level. Drew Griffin and I will be right back. You can, in the meantime, check out what they're doing at providencemag.com. Uh-oh. Welcome back. I am talking with Drew Griffin from Providence Magazine. You can find them at providencemag.com. If you go to providencemag.com, one of the things you're definitely going to want to check out is episode 42 of the podcast that is posted there. Does the podcast have a name?
2: It's called the Provcast. It's the foreign policy podcast. So, yeah.
0: There you go, the Provcast. Um, episode four, episode 42 is the national conservative divide, a conversation with David French. Now, David French is a name that lots of our listeners will, um, will recognize. They have certainly read what David has written. They have, uh, they have heard him quoted in many places. You had the opportunity, Drew, to actually sit down with him, um, and talk about the debate that he recently had, um, with another, uh, conservative voice in America. So let's just talk about the conversation. That you had about the conversation that he had as a as a way of just, you know, sort of unpacking the larger conversation among conservatives in America today.
2: Sure. There's a a divide, I guess, that's uh, beginning to kind of form uh, amongst uh, conservatives. There's uh, there are a couple camps that are beginning to form. And uh, David French is definitely in, in one. And uh, the other camp, I guess, is is led or the, one of the biggest articulators of it is a guy named Sohrab Amari. Uh, so Rob is a um, editor at the uh, New, York, New York Post, formerly of Commentary Magazine. And um, So Rob wrote an uh, op-ed earlier this year uh, in which he kind of decried something that um, is, is definitely sad uh, in our culture, but he decried a specific event uh, in California at a public library uh, that hosts uh, something called Drag Queen Story Hour. And this um, is is something that happens in different public libraries across the country where drag queens come in and they read uh, stories and people can bring their kids to hear the drag queens read stories. And this incensed Amari, um, and he just he feels that this is uh, just horrible. It's uh, indicative of a really corrupt and 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 uh, um, uh, liberal culture. And so his complaint is that something should be done, right? That we we shouldn't allow uh, drag queens to be in libraries. We shouldn't allow this kind of uh, influence uh, to be uh, peddled on the part of our kids. And that the failure of, of our society to allow this is is really rooted in the fact that um, there's enough freedom out there, there's enough uh, ability for um, liberal and secular groups to basically um, uh, take hold of public spaces and and kind of say whatever they want. And so um, he has begun to say, you know, look, the government shouldn't be neutral. Um, It should be ordered towards the, uh, the greatest common good. And so uh, you know there's a liberal I um, mean there's a moral strategy there behind that, and that the government should uh, kind of if need be impose that morality for the greater common good of culture um, on the opposite side of that in, in some sense is um, uh, David French and a number of other conservatives uh, probably yours truly um, that that would say, look um, freedom often causes conflict you know one of the things about our country is that there's you know, 300 million people that we have um, uh, a lot of freedom. You can say what you want. You can believe what you want. You can do what you want. And oftentimes that means there are going to be people out there that do things that we might view as unchristian, do things that we might view as un- un- unseemly. Um, and some things we may even think are, are outright morally wrong. Um, but the, the same freedom under which they are, are sheltering themselves to, to do these things that we might not approve of is the freedom that also extends over us, that allows us to um, to say what we want, to organize in schools, uh, to use our libraries for meetings and to host our own story hours if we wanted, that there's a, a viewpoint neutrality that the government has that says, look, in, in public spaces, um, you know, the government's going to view, have all, you know, a, a neutral position towards viewpoints. If you're a drag queen, if you're a Christian, whatever, you can host something at a library, if you can get it organized or whatever, and, uh, protecting that, um, small L liberal kind of classical Western liberalism, protecting that, uh, and protecting that pluralism is in essence, really protecting us, protecting Christians. Um, that there are far more uh, church plants that meet in public schools, um, student groups that meet in public universities and in in public high schools than there are things like Drag Queen Story Hours. And one of the things that allows us to, as Christians, gather in those spaces and take advantage of this freedom is the idea of viewpoint neutrality and is the idea that it's a free country and we have the right to assemble and we need to protect that. And you can't selectively protect that right and that's that's the really frustrating thing sometimes about um living in a country as free as as ours is you know sometimes we'd like to say well i you know i don't think this group should be able to meet like the the kkk i would i would be against every single thing that they would say there there should be no right for them to meet they're wrong they're immoral they're anti-gospel but you know you you what's to say that someone comes in and says, well, then if the KKK can't meet, then, um, um, you know, the Baptists can't meet or the Christians can't meet or someone, you know, the Catholics can't meet, Um, you know, that it's sort of a, uh, the freedom protects all of us and the free speech protects all of us. So we have to advocate sometimes for the protection of speech and the protection of even activity that we might find morally reprehensible. And I think it's, it's, the beauty of America is that we have this space created for us by God, where we are free, where we can uh, preach what we want, say what we want, gather when we want. And we should be using that as Christians, as uh, churches, as institutions to make a good, the best case possible. Uh, that you know, Christianity is, is truly the, the real kingdom and is truly the real ethic that people should follow. And um, that's, when you lose that ability uh, to make that argument, we can see it all across the world. There are a number of places where, um, you know, if, if you take away the rights to gather, you take away the right to speak for one group, you end up taking it away for everyone. And uh, pretty soon, churches are driven underground uh, as long uh, with everybody else. With so, everybody else. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: So um so Drew I think this is a conversation that we will continue to circle back around to um not just with you but with others because I do think that every single individual Christian listening right now like they they're going to make a decision today about whether or not to lean into or out of a a public conversation about religious speech and and about um, and about the freedom of speech in the culture today. So thank you uh, so much for being with us. You and I are going to have to leave it right there. But we will return to this conversation with Drew Griffin from Providence Magazine. In the meantime, go check out the, uh, the podcast, Provcast. Uh, episode 42 is absolutely one you must hear, and you can find it at ProvidenceMag.com. We'll be right back. All right, I'm going to pause right here for just a moment and respond to uh, a listener on our text line. Remember, you can always text me during the program at 877-933-2484. That's eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. We have a listener who said, "Hey, I feel like what I'm hearing you uh, hearing you say is that you know morality is irrelevant. Morality doesn't matter. Okay, if you if that's what you're hearing, then you're not listening. All right, and I don't I, I don't often just just sort of sh- strike out like that." But if that's what you're hearing, if you are hearing me, if you think you're hearing me say morality is irrelevant, then you're not listening. Um, And so if you've been listening very long at all, then you know that's not what I'm saying. That's not what Drew Griffin is saying. That's certainly not what David French is saying. Um, And so uh, please let's not strike out at one another as Christians who are seeking to figure out how uh, with the compelling gospel of jesus christ we're going to engage in the current cultural moment if you're if you're just going to lash out at one another that's not going to work and so we've got to figure out how do we engage the cultural conversation of our day not how did they get to do it 500 years ago or how did they get to do it 100 years ago how are we going to do it today today is actually the day god deigned for you and i to be alive this is our day this is the day he has given us and so today's the day that you and I as Christians press the mind of Christ into the culture of which we are a part. If we don't like the fruit that is being produced in the culture of our day, then we've got to get out there and till the soil. We've got to get out there and we've got to replant the seed of the word of God in our culture. We've got to get out there with the spirit of Christ and press in, not lean away and not castigate the culture for producing fruit that it is by its own nature producing. So, um, all right, I know, there you go. <clears throat> Thank you. For jumping into the conversation, you know I love that, um, but let's but let's honestly listen to one another, um, and and let's really strive to hear what one another is saying. Okay, Judy Douglas is up next, and she is a beautiful friend in Christ. She is a sister in Christ. Uh, if you're not already, um, if you don't already know her, um, she she's married to somebody you know who is sort of famous in Christendom, but Judy is uh, a rock star in Christendom just on her own. Um, she, is, uh, she is the wife of Steve Douglas, the president of Crew Global. You might know them as Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, she has been partnering with Steve and leading Crew for many years. She also serves as the director of women's resources for Crew. She, she blogs regularly, and she is the host of Prayer for Prodigals. It's an online community for those who love someone who is making destructive choices. And, um, and so Judy offers up to us now a book That is in this uh, in the vein of this ministry of prayer for prodigals, which is, uh, again, you can find prayer for prodigals. uh, There's a Facebook group. You can actually just jump in and join. Um, But the book is When You Love a Prodigal, 90 Days of Grace for the Wilderness. And that conversation is up next.
1: I must confess. I am one of the millions of Americans who have tried a fad diet. I got hooked by the promises in the ad, lose 20 pounds in two weeks. You can eat chocolate cake, no need to exercise. Hi, I'm Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. If only it were that easy to lose weight and keep it off. You know, money and finances can be a lot like diets. It's really tempting to think there's a magic investment or a real estate deal that will set you up for life, but it rarely works out that way. What does work is this, a realistic plan, one that is aligned with your faith and balances spending, saving, and giving. Just start by asking yourself a few simple questions. What are my needs? What is my enough? And what does God want me to do with the gifts he's given me? It'll take some time, some thought, and some prayer but it will help you steer clear of the get-rich-quick schemes and lead to a content, confident, and generous life.
0: Judy Douglas is a sister in Christ. She is a wife, uh, a mom, a ministry leader. She is an author. She's here today to talk with us about the book, When You Love a Prodigal, 90 Days of Grace for the Wilderness. You'll want to check out the companion website, prayerforprodigals.com. That's the word for, F O R, prayerforprodigals.com. And the Facebook community, which is Prayer for Prodigals, and that one has the number four in the middle, Prayer, the number four, Prodigals on Facebook, and you can join that community if you have a prodigal in your own life. Judy, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
3: Oh, Carmen, what a delight. I was it's, thrilled to get to talk with you.
0: Yeah, it is such a delight. You know I love you. Um, you know I I love what you and Steve do uh, in the ministry of Crew. Um This is actually a part of your story that, um, you know, I think that those who are close know, but many would, would have no uh, indication of. And so let's just start with the prodigal in your own life. Um, Who is Josh?
3: Who is Josh? He is a boy, a man now, a boy God sent to us when he was almost 10, said, I'm sending you a gift. And he sent us this boy, he'd been taken from his drug addict, alcoholic mom, and um, grown up for most of those early years in A lot of hard things, a lot of hard places, danger, uh, neglect, even some abuse. And um, God said, he's yours now. And um, I said, this is a gift because he was challenging. At first, it was just the result of the." circumstances of his life and the fact that his mother had been doing alcohol and drugs when she was carrying him. And that had impact on things like learning disabilities and ADD and ability to do cause and effect reasoning. So that's who he is. He came into our home like that. And and uh, it took several years before he Became ours to good because his mother was not able to complete her plan, and so they uh, terminated rights and God assured us we should adopt him, and it got a lot harder.
0: Judy, there are, um, you know, there are lots of people listening right now who have a prodigal in their life. Um, they have a person whom they they love fiercely. Um, but that individual is making choices that are sometimes uh, sometimes destructive relationally, but always destructive personally. Um, talk about loving a prodigal and talk about the uh, the the experience of that as a believer, because that's you know it, it, that is the conversation that I think is most difficult inside the church. Right? Is is coming alongside, praying for, praying with, being a friend to, walking with those in our in our family of faith who are loving prodigals fiercely
3: it is a calling it is a real gift from god to be called to, to love a prodigal because then we get a, a much bigger picture of God's love for us um, because we're all prodigals. We're all wandering away in some time or other, some way or other. And so uh, I consider our son an incredible gift because of what I learned about uh, trusting God and, and loving God's love for me first. And then that love flowing through me uh, to our son, who, who didn't make it easy for many years, like 15 years of a lot of bad choices. One of the most important things during that time was a friend who came alongside me. And uh, she was someone I trusted. And she listened and she prayed with me. She wept with me. We laughed sometimes. But she was there for me. And that gave me uh, a touchable person who could uh, understand the heartbreak that I was experiencing. And I'm so grateful for her. But surely the one who comes alongside us, all of us the most, is the Lord. And that's when I claim wonderful things like the names of God that assure us that he is with us always. And so another gift I received from this young man uh, was to understand God's presence in my life and that he would be there with our son who had come to Christ, but had walked away. Um, And it's just been mm, really a very tender thing to keep loving our son because God has loved me so well. And so his love would flow through me to our son and make it possible to not just say, you know, go, go do what you want to do. I'm done. Uh, couldn't do that.
0: Judy Douglas is with me today. The book is when you love a prodigal 90 days of grace for the wilderness. Um, and, and the website, the, the complimentary website is, I'm going to look exactly at my sheet of paper prayer for prodigals. And that's the word for in the middle PrayerforProdigals.com. The Facebook community is prayer for prodigals with the number four in the middle prayer for Prodigals um i'm really encouraging if you're listening right now and you have a prodigal in your life you feel um you feel alone in particular this community is for you if you are um a person who loves a prodigal obviously this book is for you but if you are a person who loves a person who loves a prodigal i think this book is really for you as well um and so um just be mindful of that as you are uh as you are considering When you love a prodigal. Judy Douglas and I are going to be right back. We're going to uh, we're going to get an update on where Josh is now. And we're going to talk about the journey in between. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'll be right back. I'm talking with Judy Douglas uh, about her book, When You Love a Prodigal, 90 Days of Grace for the Wilderness. Um, Judy, thank you um, again for this conversation. Thank you for your ongoing ministry um, with crew, and thank you for the way in which you are not only offering up your story, but shepherding others who love prodigals through the online community, both on Facebook and at prayerforprodigals.com. Um, let's Let's do this. Um, tell people and it's not the end of the story but tell people the current status of the story uh, how is josh now um and and then talk about you know from from 10 to today like that that is a long journey uh and so let's i'm just going to let, let you unpack that
3: okay well right now josh is has turned from being one of the most creative work avoiders i've ever seen uh <laughs> Being one of the hardest working people I've ever seen. He and his wife live on a little farm. They both hold down jobs. They have two children. And Josh gets up early and he does all the farm chores. And she has to leave early for her job. And um, then he goes to his job and works at a labor job. And then he comes home and does all the farm chores. And usually, makes dinner, Uh, at least grills, because she's been ill with Lyme disease and Mm. uh, is on a special diet. But he works so hard and he's so responsible. But, you know, he still has the challenges that come from the addictions that he's had and the choices that he's made in the past. And so life is, is rarely easy. He's happy. Uh, but at the same time, there's always some things that push on him. Uh, and uh, he's he's a good man now. And I loved him then, and I love him now, and I'm so proud of him. He's so thrilled about this book because it is like a ministry that he is able to have to uh, encourage and help others' families who were in the same boat that we were in.
0: It's such a it's such a redemptive testimony, right? It's not just your testimony of what it you know what it is like to love a prodigal um and therefore a ministry uh you know in which you can actively and ardently engage. It's a redemptive testimony about and for him as well and the and the power of God um and the the character of God to never leave us and never forsake us even when we are making choices that are far from the heart of the father. Um, Judy, I'd love for you to um, to to talk right now to people who are listening who love a prodigal. They have a prodigal. They wish that uh, a 90 day devotional would um, solve that uh, uh, solve that ache in their heart. You know that 90 days is actually uh, the short form of this. And many, many people will walk many years loving a prodigal um, awaiting that day when they turn, you know, they turn back toward the father. So just just speak to them right now.
3: Yes, you're right. It could be many, many years, and it most often is when I first encounter someone who's just discovered a child's addiction, or a child's cutting, or um, sexual activity, and all the possibilities. And we kind of live through all the possibilities. Um, they they're like deer with, you know, in the headlights because they're like what how did this happen? How can we be doing this? And they think it'll be quick, but it, it isn't usually quick. It is sometimes. God does miracles in there, but mostly it takes time. And we, we walk with David who said, how long, O oh Lord? And and, oh, my soul, why are you so dis- downcast? Because we're so struggling with the pain and the uncertainty and the fear. The fear grips you incredibly. And uh, all of that is a wonderful gift to turn us to the Lord, to turn us to the Father. And, and God will do amazing work in us if we will... Uh, let his word and his promises and his names who tell us what he's like uh, come alongside and, and speak to our hearts and give us um, an assurance of his presence, an assurance of one of the most important things, I think, is that he is working even when we can't see it. And, and he does that all through scripture. You don't know what he's doing and it looks like it's about to be a disaster. And, and then God steps in and he is working. And he is working in the life of your prodigal. Um, but he doesn't push and force. He woos with loving kindness. He woos with, with patience. Um, but he's always working to draw them back because he loves them even more than we do. And uh, there is hope. Um, he tells us in one place that there is, a a door of hope that the circumstances that we're in right now are like a door of hope. And even though you look at the circumstances and you go, how can anyone hope if the things that my child is doing or the people that he or she is mixed up with uh, and the fact that some are in prison or in jail, um, you think, how can you have hope? And yet God says he is hope. It's one of his names. And he says, these circumstances that you're in will be the ones that I use to open a door to let you have um, a glimpse and then eventually see what God is doing. We have no absolute assurance because he allows us to make the choices, but he knows the best ways to woo, to draw that person back. And oh, he never quits working at it.
0: Judy, um, at some point down the road, I'd love to have a conversation with you about what this entire experience was like as very public facing evangelical Christian leaders. I mean, you and Steve walked this journey with Josh um as as people who were shepherding one of the largest ministries in the world, um, you know, at crew. And that part of this conversation, I think, for those of us who are sort of at the stage of parenting that you're talking about, and we are public-facing evangelical Christians in leadership in the world, um, that's a that's an important conversation for us to have as well. I know that one is that is that is offline, and I'll uh, I'll follow up with you on that. But I want you know I want our listeners to be mindful of that reality that each and every one of us, um, you know, we have this this stewardship of our own testimony in public. And you and Steve were able to have this public testimony of faith um, while you are loving a prodigal who is making different choices about his own relationship with God uh, along the way. And that is, um, that's a lesson for us as well. I want to invite you, if you're listening right now, to, uh, to get a copy of When You Love a Prodigal, 90 Days of Grace for the Wilderness. You may not be a person who has a prodigal in your life, but I can assure you as a Christian, you have a friend who loves a prodigal and this book is for them. This community is for them. Uh, we want to invite people into the online community at prayerforprodigals.com and into the Facebook community at Prayer for Prodigals as well. Judy Douglas, thank you for the gift of your friendship uh, and for this book, When You Love a Prodigal.
3: Oh, Carmen, thank you. What a delight to be with you and to tell a little bit of our story.
0: It's such a joy. Um, you are you are shepherding the hearts of so many people. Thank you, my friend. We'll be right back. Okay, so um, I've got. Oh, I don't have time. I, ha- I have this lost sheep story that I totally, absolutely want to share with you. Um, I live in. Uh, I live just outside of Bellevue, Tennessee. If do we have a missing you, who's on the lamb in Percy Warner Park? Yes, literally a missing you on the lamb in Percy Warner Park in my own community. She's been missing um, since the Highland Games last Saturday, and there are now literally hundreds of people in my community out looking for a lost sheep today. <laughs> I got more on that later, but that's all I can give you right now. All right, stick with me. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio.